ourselves around this idea that Church Northwest is about helping each other take our next step towards Jesus. That's kind of our defining idea. And alongside that, we have this idea that we wanted to create a community that is defined by growing faith in Jesus, by a genuine love for all people, and an active hope for Northwest Auckland and beyond. So we worked really hard on figuring out what God was leading us to do. This is kind of a statement around, this is who Church Northwest is. This is what we're all about. If you've got your worksheet, actually, this is the first, first thing to fill in. So you super hurriedly scribbling down notes there. That's fantastic. So in our first year, what we did is we really focused on the genuine love aspect of this. And we really wanted to build a tight community where people felt like they were just part of the whanau, they were just part of the family. And, and I feel like we did that really well. You guys did that really, really well. And you created an environment where people felt comfortable and engaged, which was lovely. And so we want to continue doing that. We want to um, keep that as a core part of who we are. But last year, uh, well, last year and a half, I guess, we also added this idea of an active hope. And so we talk, walked through the Loving Thy Neighborhood um, series. I don't know if you remember that. We were kind of navigating online and lockdowns and all of that sort of stuff as well. But we really wanted to figure out how can we share what God has given us with the people around us in a way that makes sense. And so we, we talked about loving our neighbors. So that's part of the act of hope. So those are really, really important. But this year, what I want to do, I want to add on to those things by sort of focusing on this genuine, or sorry, this growing faith in Jesus. I really want us to focus in on how do we draw nearer to who God is? How do we build that connection with Him? Because um, continuing to grow in our relationship with God, our faith, is really, really important. As with any relationship, there is no such thing as a stagnant relationship. Have you ever noticed this? There's no real such thing where you just maintain. You're either kind of growing closer or inadvertently or whatever, you're sort of drifting apart. And if, if there is not an intentionality within, and sometimes it's just very simple, spending time, whatever, but our relationships tend to either grow or shrink over time. And the same is true of our connection with God. If we are not sort of actively engaging with Him, we find ourselves tempted by other things or the distractions of this world or, or, or everything that's going on. Our lives are busy. You know, we've got kids to deal with. We've got, you know, um, relationship issues or money issues or job issues. All sorts of things are sort of distracting us so that we're not sort of like digging into that connection with God, right? Is this, I mean, I've experienced this. I'll be the first to put my hand up. I've definitely experienced that if I'm not actively sort of working towards God, I find myself distracted and drifting away. Is that, is that fair? You, you get a few nods, that's good. Nice sort of calm group today. <laughs> so one of the verses that's been really important for us is John 15, 5, where he says, Yes, I am the vine. This is what Jesus says to us. You are the branches. Those who remain in me, and again, this idea of remaining is not a static idea, but those who sort of grow into me, and I in them, will produce much fruit. Their lives will look the way God wants them to look. For apart from me, 
you can do nothing. So if we're not engaging into who Jesus is, into who God is, and, and I'm not assuming that any of you or all of you have that relationship to begin with. So for some of you, you've kind of committed yourself to God and this makes a lot of sense. Others of you, you might be just trying to figure out what this Christian thing is. And that's fine. That, that's totally cool for you to be exploring that. But this is part of what it means to be a Christian, that it's an active, ongoing thing. So one of the ways that we can do this, and I don't know if you remember this from last year, is we talked about what's called spiritual pathways, ways that we can connect with God. And each of us have a slightly different, sort of, we're built differently, and different things engage our faith more than others. Like, for example, some people, it might be relationships like this, coming to, to church on a Sunday morning, or getting involved in a small group, or, or just even meeting up with another Christian. It just, being with another Christian really just kind of lifts you. You know, if you notice that, it just makes you, like, draw closer to God. Or maybe it's uh, the, the intellect. Maybe it's just the more you study, the more you kind of dive into the Bible and you pull it apart and you see all of these cool things that are going on. And you're like, oh yeah, this is really energizing my faith. Or maybe it's worship. Maybe what's what we just did when we're getting into the song and there's something about music that God has built into us that sort of connects us to Him. Maybe it's activism. Maybe it's sort of like doing something with a purpose. It's like putting our lives out there so that we're, we're, the more we're sort of like putting ourselves on the edge of what we're capable of and relying on God, that just energizes our faith. I find that one for myself. Maybe it's almost the opposite, contemplation, where it's like the more you just sort of slow down and you just listen to what God is saying and you hear and you think through and you feel what God is doing, that engages you. Maybe it's service. Maybe it's something simple as putting chairs out in the morning or, or playing in the band or something where you're doing something for someone else. You feel close to God there. Or maybe it's creation where, you know, you go out into, this is again another one for me. New Zealand is amazing for this. You just go anywhere and it's just so beautiful. And you're just like, God, how can I not see you in this? And I'm just so close to you. Um, actually, we're going to talk about that um, in another week or so. Or the last one, which I can't actually see properly, yeah, is the senses. So doing different things with like artwork or something like that, the more you sort of just, you draw or you write poetry or something, whatever it is, that just engages you. So there's different spiritual pathways. We each may have a few that kind of might engage us, and we talked about that. These are things that we can do to engage with God. However, Another really critical thing that we need to do, all of us need to do, is to engage and read through the words that he has given us in his Bible. I'm like ping pong. Boop, boop. I don't know what was going on there. Nate, we have more issues for you to work out this week. Hoorah. He's not even here. Okay. So the Bible says it's about itself. It says, for the word of God is alive. It's powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. It doesn't, that doesn't sound particularly comfortable. But there's this really strong idea that Scripture helps us to know who God is, and it draws us closer to Him as He draws us closer to Him through what He has given us. So... Through that, 
we encourage you to a couple of things. One is we encourage you to engage in our reading plan. So some of you have been part of church um, up to now will know that we're going through a year-long reading plan through the New Testament. Um, and so if you jump on the Bible app or if you jump on our website, you will see a link where you can sign up. doesn't matter. We're in the middle of Mark. Yes, middle of Mark right now. Um, so just jump on in and go with us as we go through the New Testament. It's a good way to do that together, get some of that Bible into us. But for the next little while on Sunday mornings, what I want to do is I want to go and I want to take a book of the Bible. This is not something that we've done too much before at Church Northwest, but um, I think it's really, really important. We're just going to take the book of Romans, and we're just going to pull it apart. And honestly, for about the next, well, till October, so a good chunk of the rest of the year, we're just going to sit with this book and we're going to go through it piece by piece. And we're going to pull it apart and we're going to see what's going on. And some of you are like, yeah, let's get into it. And others you are like, oh my God, <laughs> that's a long book. That's a big book. That's a long time to be doing one book. Trust me, there is plenty in here to keep us engaged. In fact, I'm going to have to be skipping over stuff all, all over the place. But that's what we're going to be doing. We're going to look at the book of Romans. And so to start off this morning, I want to introduce the book. And so actually the first 17 verses of the book introduce itself, which is kind of handy so we can get into it right away. How many of you have have sort of dived into Romans before? It's okay if you haven't. It's it's not a a shame thing. But uh, yeah, so a few of you have been into Romans. It's quite a big book, isn't it? It's quite a heavy book in a lot of ways. And for a lot of people, it is one of the most important books of the Bible uh, for a lot of different reasons. It especially when it comes to this subject of grace and the grace of God. I don't know if you know this dude. Uh, His name is Martin Luther. Martin Luther is one of the most important historical figures outside of the Bible. In the 1500s, he, he sort of like stepped outside of the Catholic Church. This is an oversimplification, but he sort of like started challenging some of the theology, some of the ideas around the Catholic Church at the time, and um, really sort of shifted our focus away from works-based mentality of like, we've got to earn our salvation to this idea of grace that we are freely given our salvation. And he was impacted so deeply by the book of Romans. The book of Romans is what turned things around for him. I remember reading a biography and he talked about how before he really got into it, he just felt this constant stress of guilt. Like he always had to, like he'd go to confession and he would try and confess all of his sins, but he's like, what if there's one I've missed? What if, what if I can't think of all of the things that I've done wrong with God? Am I, am I condemned to hell because of that? Am, am, I, am, I, am I separated from God because of that? And he was just wrought with stress and anxiety. But then he started studying this book of Romans and it just turned everything around for him. So it's, going to be, it's a really important book. So just to kick us off and to give us an introduction, I want to show you a portion of the video from the Bible Project that gives us a little bit of background. Paul's letter to the Romans. It's one of the longest and most significant things ever written by the man who was formerly known as Saul of Tarsus. 
He was a Jewish rabbi belonging to a group known as the Pharisees, and he was passionate and devout to the Torah of Moses and the traditions of Israel. And he saw Jesus and his followers as a threat. But then he had a radical encounter with the risen Jesus, who commissioned him as an apostle, like an official representative, to the world of non-Jewish people called Gentiles in the Bible. And so he started going by his Roman name, Paul, and he traveled all around the ancient Roman Empire, telling people about the risen King Jesus, and forming his followers then into these new communities called churches. And Paul would occasionally write letters to these new Jesus communities to help them foster their faith or answer questions. And the book of Romans is one of these. It was actually written quite late in his career. Now we know from the book of Acts that the church in Rome had existed for some time, that it was made up of Jewish and non-Jewish followers of Jesus. But at one point, the Roman emperor Claudius had expelled all of the Jewish people from Rome. And then about five years later, all of those Jews, including Jesus-following Jews, were allowed to return. And when they did, they found a church that had become very non-Jewish in custom and practice. And so this created lots of tension. So that by Paul's day, the Roman church was divided. People disagreed about how to follow Jesus. They were debating about whether non-Jewish Christians should celebrate the Sabbath or eat kosher or be circumcised. And so Paul wrote this letter to accomplish a few things. He wanted this divided church to become unified and for a practical purpose. He was hoping that the Roman church could become a staging ground for his mission to go even further west all the way to Spain. And so these circumstances are what motivated Paul to write out his fullest explanation of the gospel, the good news that he was announcing about Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Right, you get all of that? You can, um, there's a link in the Bible app to that video, which actually extends out to the first uh, four chapters, or there's a uh, section of Romans as well. I just wanted to give you a little bit of background. We're going to go through some of that as well. But as we get into the first portion of the book, it gives us a little context, which is really, really helpful. Um, and to, it gives us to, a chance to set the stage for the rest of the book. Because it's important to remember that the book of Romans, like all of the biblical books, especially the New Testament books or letters, were written a long, 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 long time ago in a very different culture to a group of people we don't know. They weren't written directly to us, although there's a, a, a sort of an understanding that God uses all of that to uh, encourage and teach us. But it was written to a specific group of people on the other side of the world in a whole different time. So getting the right context, helping us to understand the world that was going on then, will help us to understand what was being said, what was meant by what was being said, and how we can take what was said and apply it to our 21st century Kiwi culture. Does that make sense? So giving us a little bit of context helps us to do that more accurately. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to start, I'm going to read the first 17 verses. I was going to read it out of my Bible, but I brought the wrong translation. Because uh, normally we read from the New Living Translation, which is a nice, easy translation to read. But since we're diving in and studying it a little bit more, I wanted to choose a translation that was just a little bit more accurate to the original documents. Um, so I'm going to use the NIV, which is not the most accurate, but it's also a little bit easier to read as well, if that makes sense. If you have any confusion about translations, by the way, come and talk to me, because there's a whole heap of them, and some of them are nice and easy to read, some of them are a little more accurate but harder to read. So depending on what you're wanting to do with your reading, you pick a different translation. 
Anyway, so we're going to read from the NIV. And we start in verse 1. He starts by introducing himself. He says, Paul, a servant of Christ, Jesus, called to be an apostle or set apart and set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. That's a mouthful. He's just introducing himself. Through him we received grace and apostleship, or given the purpose to go and do something for God, that's what apostleship is, to call all the Gentiles or the non-Jews to obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. And you also are among the Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. He's talking to his readers. And now he addresses his readers to all who in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is a pretty normal sort of introduction to a letter. He says, who am I? Introduces himself a little bit, although Paul tends to introduce himself a lot and he gets into some pretty deep stuff immediately. And he says, who am I writing to? To Rome. And he gives a blessing, grace and peace to you from the Lord Jesus Christ. All right. Then in verse 8, all right, I need you to do it, Evelyn, I'm sorry. Verse 8, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve in my spirit and preaching the gospel of his Son, is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now, at last, by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. And then verse 11. I, oh no, sorry. Oh, we're having fun today. I'm going to try on this one. No. There we go. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. This is Paul, he wants to visit this church to encourage each other. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, or a ministry among you, just as I've had among the other Gentiles. I'm obligated to both Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and to the foolish. That is why I'm eager, so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God, or being right before God, is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. That last two sentences, by the way, is would have been what really dug into Martin Luther's mind. A righteousness that is from faith, not works. Anyway, all right. So, first 17 verses, immediately we're introduced to the author, a guy named Paul. This is Paul. Hi, Paul. You don't have to say hi, Paul. It's just a picture. So Paul is a, he was highly trained as a Jewish leader. So he wasn't born a Christian. In fact, he was part of the religious leadership 
of God's people. He was trained by the best of the best. He was excited and zealous and like really gung-ho for the laws of God. If you've ever met someone who is just absolutely like zeroed in on something and you're like, I like this guy, but all he ever talks about is dot, dot, dot. And so you're just kind of like, this is Paul. Like, this is all he wanted to talk about was, was God's laws and, and being good before God and, and, and following God, all right? Now, he sort of thought that the, the Christian church, that Jesus and the, and the Christians, they were against God, that they were an aberration. They were a mutation away from the faith. And so he used his passion to try and destroy them. And then he had this major experience in Acts chapter 9, which you want to read about. It's a very cool story where he meets Jesus. And this turns him around 180 degrees. But he's still passionate, he's still zealous. So now he's passionate about Jesus and he's passionate about the church. And so he goes and he does all these amazing things and he starts planting churches all across the Mediterranean, first from Jerusalem and then all other places around Europe. Now, he never actually got to Rome. Rome, the church in Rome that he is writing to, this is our audience, this church had been around for a little while, and some people said that, that maybe Paul planted that church, but that's not likely, or that Peter planted that church, but that's also not likely. What's most likely is that if we read in Acts chapter 2, where there's this, Peter is telling everyone about Jesus at, at um, I forget the name of the feast now, someone help me. No one? Okay. Um, anyway, so he, he's, he's telling everybody about Jesus, and there's people from all around the world who have come and who are, are there in Jerusalem for the feast. They hear about it. They go back and they start their own little church communities, including Rome. Pentecost. That's what it was. Thank you, Pentecost. All right, so this church in Rome begins as these group of Jews who had gone to Jerusalem, heard about Jesus, and brought it back. Now, they started clashing probably with the Jews in Rome who didn't believe in Jesus. This is causing a bit of a kerfuffle. And so as the video mentioned, the emperor, Claudius, is like, I, don't, I, just, I just don't want to deal with any of you Jews. Get, Jews. get out of here. And so he kicked all of the Jews out. And so all of the non-Jewish Christians stayed behind and they continued their church, right? And then five years later, he's like, actually, Jews are fine. You can come back. And so they all come back. And so now you've got these non-Jewish or Gentile Christians who are going about faith the, way, the best way they know how. <clears throat> and then you've got these Jewish Christians who are Christians, they believe in Jesus, but they're also still Jewish. So they've got all of these Jewish traditions and they come and they start butting heads. And so they're saying, if you want to be a Christian, you have to also be a Jew and you have to follow Jewish customs. The Gentiles are like, why? What well, does it make any sense? I thought we were free from that. And so there's all sorts of kerfuffle there. So... Paul, in verse 8, starts to, to show us his purpose of writing the book. And the first thing he says is he cares deeply about the churches. So he would have heard about this fighting back and forth between the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians, and he's just, his heart would have been broken about that. And so he wants to help mend some of those fences. But he also wants to come and visit Rome. Now, Paul is probably somewhere in Greece when he's writing this letter, in a city called Corinth, most likely. So that's, that's on the sheet too. You can see him start scribbling there. Um, so he's in Corinth, and what he wants to do is he wants to go to Rome, but first he's got to go to Jerusalem, and then he wants to go to Rome, and then he wants to go to Spain. 
all right? And so he wants to start doing some work in Spain because no one's been to Spain yet. And he's like, this is a great new harvest field. I want to go and I want to do that. But first, I want Rome. I want you to kind of buy my tickets, you know, because he doesn't, he's like, he's a traveling Christian leader. He needs support. And so he's like, if I sort of establish myself in Rome, maybe you guys can support me as I go to Spain, right? So this is his plan. This plan does not happen. Sorry, Paul, no Spain for you. He doesn't make it. In fact, he tries to go to Jerusalem and he's arrested in Jerusalem on that trip. Um, in fact, in uh, verse, uh, chapter 15 of Romans, we see that he's, this, is, this outlies his plan. He wants to come, enjoy some time in Rome and then go on to Spain. But no, no Spain. He tries to get to Jerusalem. He's arrested. He ends up in Rome, but only in jail. So he's a prisoner in Rome. He doesn't get to do the things he wants to do. Doesn't end up in Spain, but that's all right. God's got Spain covered. Anyway, and so what Paul, he doesn't know any of this, of course. So as he's writing Romans, he's like, I want to write a complete picture of the gospel. You've heard me use that word a couple of times. He mentioned it in the passage. The gospel is the story of Jesus. It's the good news it is what God has promised his people. It's rescue. It's salvation. We look in verse 16 and 17, like I said, these really key verses. And he says, this gospel, this good news is the power of God that brings salvation, that brings us back into connection with God. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. All right, so... In this passage, we can see a couple of really interesting things. First is, and these are the two major themes that you're going to see throughout the entire book of Romans. The first is this idea of righteousness that is by faith. Not by working really hard, not by following traditions, not by you know, obeying a set of laws that were given to them back in the Old Testament, but by faith, trust. By trusting in God, he gives salvation. He gives his rightness, being right before God, being okay before God, standing before God and him looking at us and going, you are a good person. That comes through Jesus by trusting, by having faith, right? Does that make sense? Huge theme, big problem for the, for the Roman church, a big thing that needed to be explored. The second thing we get is this little note here. He says, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile, the non-Jews. And so this relationship between Jews and Gentiles and in a bigger picture, the story of Israel and how the story of Israel continues. What does it mean to be a Jew or a Gentile? How important is it? Is Judaism dead now that we've got Christianity? Is it the end of one faith and beginning of another? Or what's going on? And so we're going to look at both of those two themes as we go through the book of Romans. All right. Take a breath. How's that? You're right there? Okay, you just begin. Okay. How are you doing? A lot going on there, isn't there? And it is a heavy book, but... That doesn't mean it's an impossible book to read. And I think we're going to see some really cool stuff coming out of Romans. So I mentioned before that this is a book that was written a long time ago to people far, far away. It sounds like the beginning of Star Wars, but it's like 
Like it was written in a whole different culture to a whole different group of people. However, we also know the Bible promises us, God promises us that what he has recorded in this book is applicable to us today as well. So we're not just a fly on a wall to some correspondence between Paul and a church and a random church in the Mediterranean. We are hearing something that is important and impactful to our own lives. So as we go through this book over the next however many months, I encourage you to engage with it, to hear both what he was saying to that church back then, but also what he is saying to us. So we're going to do, what we're going to do is we're going to read it with an understanding of the time that it was written. We're going to keep this context in mind. And we're going to understand what it is that Paul was telling them. And then we're going to pull some of those truths and principles and ideas out of that and apply it to what God is telling us today. So as we prepare ourselves, you can read through Romans if you like. That would be great. We're going to go through it together. But I would, I would encourage you to pray that God opens up our minds and opens up our hearts to hear what he is saying through this book so that we can take our next step closer to him, that we can have a growing faith in him because that's why we're here. That's what it's all about. Fair enough? Good? All right. Good nods. Let me pray. Lord, I just, uh, I just thank you so much for giving us this book. It's an incredible book. And I know I've often sort of approached this book and gone, oh, I don't know what to do with this. And there's some pretty heavy thoughts and arguments and ideas. And so, Lord, I just ask that you would help all of us, myself included, as we explore it together, that you would help us to understand both what was being said to the Roman church back in the first century, but also what you are saying to us and how we can live out our faith, that you would help us to understand who you are and also what the amazing things that you have done for us. We thank you that you've given us this book. We thank you not just for the story it tells, but for the promises that it has that you have for us, the the promise of a life connected to you that is stronger and better and longer, that is eternal. We thank you for those promises. It's in your name we pray.